Welcome to episode 9 of the Dollars and Doctor Show. I'm your host, Kirthay Javarn, founder and financial planner at White Coat Financial. On today's episode, I interviewed Dr. Sanjukta Mohanta. Dr. Mohanta is a general dentist practicing at a publicly funded dental clinic in Brampton, Ontario, where she grew up. She graduated from the University of Toronto Faculty of Dentistry in 1999, and she's proud to have many DFFs, or dental friends forever. She's a writer, an advocate, a speaker, organizer, and volunteer. She really is the GOAT of dentistry. Her purpose is to help others, and her passion is anything related to dentistry. She lives in Mississauga, Ontario, with her husband, two kids, a dog, and a fish. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Today's episode has been sponsored by Oral Health Group. Oral Health Group was established in 1911 and has been known for a tradition of editorial excellence for over 110 years. As Canada's only national clinical publication publishing every single month of the year, they deliver a consistent and comprehensive coverage of the Canadian dental market. Their audited circulation goes out to over 23,000 dentists, dental students, labs, dealers, and manufacturers across Canada. Oral Health Group is the ultimate source for connecting with the Canadian dental industry. Consider them your one-stop resource for engaging dental professionals through print and digital opportunities. Yeah, I would love to just start there with what sort of, where you went to school, your upbringing, and what's brought you to, to this point of your life. Great. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on this podcast, Gertaj. And I'd also like to thank everyone who's listening, because not only are you going to learn about me, but hopefully this is all about you. And hopefully you'll learn from my career, my insights that it can inspire you to do something better in your life. So that's my intention for the podcast. And you had asked about, you know, the making of Dr. Sanj Mohanta. So I will tell you, I was born in Toronto, Ontario, and my parents had an arranged marriage. They met on their wedding day. They came to Toronto within a year. They had my brother a year after that. They had me. I was, you know, I, had a lot of friends. Uh, that, so that's one of my uh, values is friendship. And in high school, I was one of those kids who was on every single club, volunteering every night. Uh, I even did things like I wrote letters to try to get Nelson Mandela freed from prison in South Africa. And I was never good in speaking or writing. Those were my worst subjects. But I force myself to get better in those because that's the way you can do advocacy. So it was that those letters to try to get Nelson Mandela freed that taught me the power of the pen. And, you know, a year later he got freed and I know that had nothing to do with the letter that I wrote, but then I thought, you know, it was everyone working together. It was those thousands and thousands of letters of support that helped get his freedom. And when I was, when I did my undergrad at the University of Waterloo in biology and the re, and I was really interested in research. And one of the reasons why I was, because when I was in grade 10, I did a research project on which toothpaste is the best. And what I did was I used myself as the test subject. And I, you know, for one quarter of my mouth, I tested Colgate. The other quarter I tested Crest. Third quarter I tested Acrofresh and the fourth quarter 
I didn't brush my teeth with any toothpaste at all. And I just grew, I like swiped my teeth with Q-tips and grew them on slabs of potato and then kept the slabs of potato in the bathroom. So that was my moist environment. And that was my growth medium, potatoes. So it was very crude research, horrible. Like this, this is something you would not get published, but I won the science fair project and it was called open wide. And I thought, okay, I should go into research. So I wasn't thinking about being a dentist at all. So during undergrad, all my courses were geared towards getting into a master's. And my plan was to get my PhD and teach and do research, have a life in academia because I love school. So I was a teaching assistant. I took all these research-based courses. And then in, during my final year of my undergrad, during my fourth year, I did a mini master's. So it was a research project and it was, with a lab that worked with insects and my science my project my research project was to work on crickets so i had to test stress levels of crickets like who cares about stress and crickets like i'm under stress like someone should study me so i had to go to a room full of all these different types of bugs and find the specimens that I had to work on, get crickets, put them into test tubes and shake and put them into shakers and go, I'd have to go into the lab like 10 o'clock at night to get my results. And I hated working with bugs because they're all over the place. So the crickets would be jumping all over the room. I would tie my hair back. I would tape my sleeves shut. I would tuck my pants into my socks because the crickets were down my shirt. And after a month of this, I thought, I cannot do this for the rest of my life. Who cares about crickets? And I didn't get published. My research was horrible. I wasn't getting the results I wanted. And I thought, so like I had this, I kind of equate it to, you know, I was in love with research. That was what I was going to marry. And that's what I expect to do the rest of my life. But with, after living with my, with that person, I realized I'm leaving this person at the altar. Mm -hmm. So I went to the guidance counselor, guidance department at the University of Waterloo. And I said, I have my undergrad in biology. I'm a fourth year student. Tell me what I can do with this besides research. So, you know, as a young person, I think it was a student who was just working there for minimum wage. She opened up the filing cabinet because it was before computers. And she's like, I don't know what, I don't know what this is. It's like application for a dot and what's dot. I had no idea. And then we were reading through it together and she's like, it's the way you get into dental school. You have to do your dental aptitude test. And as, and then she said, you better apply right away and put your application in the mail because the deadline's next week. So I, yeah, I put my application in. It was after I put my application in that I looked up like what the requirements were the how much the tuition was going to cost. I only had 12 hours to spend studying for the DAT. Thankfully, I did really well in it. Like I was in the top five percentile. I couldn't believe it. I also had all the prerequisite courses. I don't know how that happened. I was really worried about the tuition. It was $10,000 a year. And I thought, I can't afford that. I don't think I should apply. But I was so desperate to get away from the crickets that I applied to the only two dental schools in Ontario, Western and Toronto, and I got into both. So I kind of thought like, this was meant to be, this is, it was like an arranged marriage that looked really good on paper. But then when I got into dental school and we were like talking about teeth, 
I thought, I'm not really that interested. Like who cares about like nerves and dentin and gums? Like it was, to me, it was just really gross. The tongue really grossed me out as well when we had to start working on real people. For the first time in my life, I failed a course, had to retake it. I didn't do well in preclinical when we're working on mannequin teeth. Like I was like drilling like designs in the teeth instead of drilling preps, like, because I just didn't have a passion for it. And, but then I thought, you know, I have no other choices. I kept thinking about the crickets and I thought, well, do I want to go back to that? And so, you know, I stuck through it, got through dental school. I thought things would get better in private practice because one of the reasons why I didn't like dental schools because we had really tough instructors that were really mean and would say things like, what the hell are you doing? Like right in front of the patient, like totally, you know, killed our self-confidence. I wasn't the same person. Like I was crying every day at school, didn't want to go. But then when I got into private practice, I wasn't any happier. I went from being an unhappy dental student to an unhappy dentist, but I thought, this pays really well. Yeah. This is like, I used to work as the popcorn girl at Cineplex Odeon and to go from that to making thousands of dollars a month, I couldn't believe it. Like I paid off my student loans in six months. So yeah, the money was great, but I hated myself. I couldn't sleep at night. I was like, this isn't right for me. And I wanted to quit. I was thinking about other occupations and healthcare. And then, you know, something really profound happened. And that was my dad was diagnosed with stage four terminal cancer. And then I thought, Oh, he's going to die soon. Better get a baby. So I got pregnant right away. You know, I was hoping that, you know, the baby would help him like give him some inspiration to keep fighting, keep going. But you know, it's not the right reason to have a baby, especially when we just bought a house and my husband just went back to school. So financially it wasn't a good time at all. And it was really sad because as my dad was dying by my side, my baby was growing inside me and my dad died two months before my son was born. And so, you know, when I delivered him, you know, I had to go back to the same hospital, you know, wearing the same clinic gown, that he, same um, patient gown that he wore. And it was like, I went from, I saw, I witnessed death in life in such a short period of time. I was alone with my dad when he passed away. And I thought, this is so incredible. It's such a unique situation to see that in such a short period of time. And then it was like a light bulb that went off. It's like, you have no choice in when you die, how you're going to die, but you have a choice in how to live. And I thought, I, I'm going to try to make this work because I actually... My plan was to stay at home with my kids until they were like four or five years old. And then I'd go back to work immediately. Like after a month after having my son, I was like, I actually missed the drill. Yeah. I remember like looking at my hand and saying, I used to have a drill in my hand. Now I have a baby. Like I miss dentistry, but I thought I have to find a way to be happy in it. So financially we need the money. I went back to being an associate in private practice. And I kept thinking, there, there are other paths. I just have to find them. And it was at the point where I thought, I remembered, oh, I remember I, want, I actually want to be a teacher. I want to be a professor. That was my goal. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could teach dentistry? I think I'd really enjoy that. And then the next day I was looking through the paper and 
I saw an ad to be an instructor at a dental hygiene school. And my son was around seven months old then. And when I went to the school, I was like, wow, like this is what I was meant to do, like share information. So I loved it, but I was still associating in private practice to keep up my skills. And then when my son was around four and my daughter was three, he's like, mommy, where are you going? And I said, going to work. And he said, why are you going to work? And I said, to make money. He's like, is money more important than us? And I was like, wow. And I, I thought, I'm their only mom. So if I'm leaving them, I have to leave them for someone who needs me more than they do. And then I remembered back in dental school, I, it was so impactful to work in the public health clinics. There were new Canadians. I was their first dentist. They're, you know, they're scared. They didn't speak the language. They had so much trust in me. They're listening to all of my advice with oral hygiene. I thought, these are the people who really need me, the people who can't go anywhere else. So the next day I saw an ad to be a dentist in a public health unit and I applied and I got the job. So it was, and I've been in public health ever since. So it's just amazing that once I set my mind to the right thing, like it just, the opportunities just appeared. It, so, <laughs> we could end the podcast. I think we're good. Yeah, I know, it's true. <laughs> Wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, that was, thank you for sharing that. Cause like I said, I've heard your story a thousand times and it's still great. It's funny. I was talking to my wife uh, yesterday and I was telling her, oh, I'm going to have John tomorrow and she's like who who the hell is that right <laughs> she <doesn't know. laughs> she, she's not into this. she's like this weirdo he's telling me about and stuff but I told her about that story of your son because yeah man like obviously I I'm a financial planner this is literally yeah. I talk to clients about money every single day and it hit me in the chest I was like oh my wow. god you need to make sure like I couldn't I don't have children yet I couldn't imagine yeah. ask that question yeah um, but I love your response to how you answer to that question of yeah. I need to make sure my work is so important yeah. um, to me that it, it'll, I, I'm okay with taking that time away from these, you know, these little humans that I love. Yeah, with my soul. it's true. Um, and I love that you were able to find that in your career. And there's just, there's so much that I could pick apart about that story, but like, thank you for sharing. Cause I feel like if oh, I start picking apart, we're going to go way <laughs> over the hours. This so will be a I, therapy session. Yeah. It was just, <laughs> So good. Thank you for sharing that. And oh, you're I, welcome. I, I think I mentioned this to you uh, in the email that I sent you, but I had a soccer coach who told me that passion is earned, that you will never just, you know, pick up a soccer ball and start and fall in love with the game. There, there's, there are some people who are like that, but generally speaking, any realm of your life requires discipline and, and sort of, a, you know, a dedication to the craft. And then after that of this, you know, this discipline and dedication will you start developing passion for that? And that seems like your story through and through. Yeah, like I really it. like what your coach said, because yeah. at the beginning, it's a struggle because you're not good at it. And then once you excel at something, then you become passionate about it and you want to share it with others. You want to help other people reach the happiness that you have. Yeah, it, and that's exactly what you did. You, you did something, you didn't like it, and then you just kind of went even deeper into the science field and then just kept yeah. going deeper and deeper and deeper uh, and dedicating more and more of your life to it until you found something that you liked. Yes. Yeah. My, my, uh, my advice to the listeners is you have to listen to your heart mm -hmm. and think about your values. And so I was going back to, okay, what did I, 
want to do when I was younger, be a teacher. What did I enjoy most in dental school? It was working in public health clinics. So the answer is right there. It's actually in your past and that's going to sh shape your future. Yeah. It's going back to who you were when you were younger, yeah, which I view as like your pure self. Exactly. When you're kids, when there was no, you know, you had no responsibilities. What were you doing? You playing a soccer ball. Well, do something in soccer. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. The soccer dream didn't work out, but that's okay. <laughs> it didn't work out so well, but yeah. You're scoring uh, goals in other ways. Yeah. And I was actually a goalkeeper. I was stopping. <laughs> okay, <you're> so <laughs> I'm the opposite now. I'll, I'll say this. Every person who's a goalkeeper or a goalie secretly wants to be a forward or the guy who scores oh. secretly. Like if I, yeah, that's, just, that's <laughs> I don't care who it is. If you're a goalie, we all know you want to be a forward. In my case, you were just too much of a chubby kid to run around on the field. So I picked the job where you just kind of stand there. So <laughs> I love and, it. You had the most important job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and speaking to sort of going back to your values and, and figuring out what it is that you really enjoy doing and, and thinking back to your future, your, your past self to, to determine what you're going to do in the future. Um, I know one of your values clearly um, is is giving back, um, being involved in the community, advocacy, and really taking care of people who, you know, maybe don't have the sort of resources to take care of themselves. Do you mind telling me a little bit about some of the organizations that you're currently involved in? Because yeah. I'll be honest, I searched it up <laughs> when I was doing my research. I went through like your entire Instagram feed from the very first post to now. And there are so many organizations you are currently involved in or have been involved in in the past. So do you mind giving me uh, sort of the listeners an overview of some of the ones that you're, you're involved yeah. in and what's important to you these days? Yeah, I'd love to. I'm on the board for Filling the Gap Dental Outreach and I'm a volunteer dentist with them as well. So we provide free dental care six days a week at two locations in Toronto to low-income adults. And another organization I'm involved with is the Remote Areas Program. It's with the Ontario Dental Association. We have contracts with the Indigenous Services Canada, where dentists, hygienists, assistants go to remote areas in Northern Ontario for two weeks and provide dental care. With the Ontario Dental Association, I do advocacy. I'm the chair of their Community Services Committee. Um, with my local organization, the Halton Peel Dental Association, I'm, I'm the past president and I organize Smile Days, which are free dental days. We usually do it around Oral Health Month, which is April. So we've done several and we have some coming up. And I absolutely love that because you, the bonding, the bond you get with your peers, with the community, it's so rewarding. And I would suggest anyone who as a dentist is listening, do some free dental days. If you don't have your own office, you can volunteer at other people's free dental days. You know, get involved with your local dental society. First, just go to their meetings and network with your colleagues and then try to get to the executive and go up higher to your provincial dental organization. I, I also volunteer with the Canadian Dental Association. I'm on their advocacy committee. So you can do so much for the profession and the public outside of clinical practice and i find that more rewarding than clinical practice because you can impact millions of people that way instead of one person at a time in practice i think dentistry is one of those um professions where you can have a profound impact 
within one you know session with a with a patient because yeah. if you think of things like medicine there's a longer form of care if that makes sense but in dentistry maybe you're just doing an extraction and that'll relieve yes. so much pain for that patient for, for years to come so you can yes. be very productive even volunteering once a week or once yes. a month you can give back in a big way um and and one of my main values is to do seva is to to give back yeah. selflessly and that is why you are my goat i, I say it very proudly <laughs> I love it. you are the goat in my eyes because how i live my life is to universalize your actions that's generally my moral compass if everyone in the world acted this way would this be a good act it, it yeah. can be applied to literally anything like voting you might think well i don't need to vote there's you know, three million people in canada they can vote i don't need to but if everyone thought like that, no one would vote and you know, yes. things would go left very quickly. You are like the epitome of that. You are the highest level of that, in my opinion, yeah. because you all of your actions, you're able to universalize. You could very easily not be practicing and doing what you're doing um, and just think someone else will do it. And you've been like this from the start. So I guess my question here of where I'm getting at is really like twofold. You have set the bar for, for giving back on a daily basis and you're involved in all these organizations like are there two of you when do you sleep like how do you how do you do this you have a family you have a dog yeah you're doing this on a sunday at 3 p.m like seriously are there two of you do you have a twin yeah so many people ask that i i'm very organized and when i do something i'm very focused so it doesn't take me long to do it so for example when i write articles it only takes me like an hour and a half to do it and How? <laughs> I because when you don't have a lot of time, you just you're like, I have to get it done. And dentistry is very scheduled. So it's like, okay, at nine o'clock I have to do this and nine thirty I have to do this. So then my life is very scheduled as well. And it's very routine. So just like my dog has to be walked at certain times during the day, I have a routine as well, revolved around my dog. Mm -hmm. And so I'd say to anyone who wants to get more done. First of all, wake up really early in the morning, just like David Goggins says, capture yep. in the morning. So the earlier, the better, because then you have no distractions and you can get things done. And I also like if there, if I can get something done in a minute, I will do it. I will not. I do not make to do lists. I do not have whiteboards. I just do it when I have to do it. Mm. So, for example, if I was supposed to set up a Zoom meeting with someone. I won't say, OK, I'll send you the Zoom link later. Because then in my mind, I'm wasting calories thinking I got to send you that Zoom link. Instead, I'm already on my phone telling someone that they have to do that. We're going to have a Zoom meeting. So right away, I will send you the Zoom link. Done. I don't have to think about it. And because it's so routine, I have very little things to think about because I know what I have to do next. So extremely productive <laughs> is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And you're just very disciplined. And was that something you developed over the years? Or have you always sort of been like this from, you know, you were in, in dentistry? I think because when I was in high school, I did well in school. I also had a part-time job. I had lots of friends. I was involved with so many clubs that I got in the into the habit of juggling a lot of things at once. And the only thing, the only way you can juggle a lot of things at once is to focus on one ball at a time. So when yeah. I'm writing, I don't think about anything yeah. else but writing. So that's why I can do it so quickly. I think that right there is a superpower that maybe the the newer, younger generation is is losing a little bit because we we all multitask so much. We have our phones available. Yeah. There's so many distractions, and we lose the ability to do deep work, as Cal Newport yes. put it. And so 
I think you are someone who's, who's very good at that. Cause yeah, like you said, when you're doing something, you're all in on that thing and which is why you're able to do things quicker. Cause you're not mentally multitasking. Yes. Fair enough. Um, I guess the other thing I want to talk about with all this, this work that you're doing for the community and you're giving back, this isn't new. You, like you said, you alluded to earlier, you've been doing this since you were, you know, a young girl writing letters to free Nelson Mandela, <laughs> you know, on a Friday night in high school <laughs> when you should be, you know, I don't know, taking your parents' car out for a spin when you shouldn't be. Like, oh, that's what you expect from a teenage girl. But um, when was this instilled with you? Is this just your pre, like, genetic predisposition? Or were you inspired by your parents? Did they give back in this way? How did you become this way from such a young age? I think it was the way I, I was wired. I remember in grade one, around Christmas time, there was a school assembly where they said, you know, we want to collect toys for the toy drive and they started talking about kids who you know are, are from low-income families who didn't have enough toys and that was the first time I thought wow there are like kids who are really struggling and so I took a, to a brand new toy that I kept bugging my parents to buy me for months and it cost a lot of money and they finally like I finally wore them down and they bought it for me and the next day I grabbed that toy and without telling my parents donated it to the toy drive and then afterwards my friends are like where's that toy you never played with it after you begged for it and then like I, I was actually crying and I said like sorry I gave it away and they're like why would you do that and I said because someone needed it more than me and so I think it was just from just young age just being very empathetic to you know people who are struggling and my parents were struggling because you know, there are new Canadians with no family here. So I saw how privileged I was because I was born here. I could speak the language. I was educated here. And I thought, I have so much to give. So why not? You're going to make me lose my street credit because I'm going to cry on camera <laughs> and it's going to go all over YouTube. <laughs> like, really, we need more Dr. Sanchez in the world. What kind of kid does that? That's just, it's the sweetest thing ever. It, it really oh, is. And I hope... You. I'm sure your dad would be extremely proud of you. And I'm sure your kids are like, the you. coolest mom in the world. <laughs> yeah, we don't have enough of that in society. The the the, the awareness um, or the empathy to, to give back, even when you weren't some rich kid, like I would assume life yeah, was no. pretty lean and you still decided yes. to give away this toy that you would, <laughs> that you wanted as a little girl to, to another kid. And I love that. I'm so glad that this is actually being, you know, put out in the world because more people need to hear this. Yeah. And yeah. I'm all about serving and it could be every single day, like even just having positive attentions when you walk into a room, like that is serving other people too, because they can feel that happiness and love you have for them. Yeah. I could attest to that when we did meet for the first time, I think it was last weekend and yeah. you do get that vibe of this person is just, you know, good, good person who wants the best uh, world. And yeah, I, and on that note, you are very respected amongst the dentistry community from whether that's clients I know or, or people that I'm involved with in dentistry. Everyone speaks the world of you as, as they should. Um, and I love the hashtag you have on like all your photos of dental friends forever. So I guess my question here is kind of threefold. But in your eyes, what's the importance of, of friendship in dentistry? Um, and not just from a mental health standpoint, how do you think it actually benefits the the profession as a whole? Yeah, that's a great question. So speaking of dental friends forever, it's DFF. So 
the only time that a publisher ever asked me to talk about a particular topic was the friends topic and I thought you want me to talk about friends as an editorial like I thought no one wants to listen to that but when I wrote that article on DFFs like so many people commented on it and they said you know what we wouldn't have got through dental school without our friends yeah so friendship is one of my three core values connection and I'll give you an analogy as to why friendship's so important like one of the biggest trees in the world are the redwood trees and you think these trees that are so tall and so wide would have the longest strongest roots and actually they don't their roots are really shallow so the way they get their strength is mm -hmm. that their roots all integrate with each other so they all support each other so none of them have strong roots they just support each other like and it's just amazing because that's what we should do like if we all help each other, we're all going to be stronger. And I wouldn't have got through dental school if it wasn't for my friends. The only reason why, why I kept going back every single day is because I wanted to see them. And in dentistry, it's such an isolating environment. Like even though we're working so closely to our assistants and our patient, like our it's we're working in the dark. It's like working in a cave. You know, you even have a headlamp and you don't have time to talk to other people and every, every procedure is stressful and you're absorbing all of the patient's anxiety and pain. And at the end of the day, if you don't talk to your friends about your hardships, your wins, your great cases, what you're feeling through dentistry is going to kill you. So yeah. in every profession you need in, in life, you can't survive without your family and friends surrounding you. But in dentistry, especially, I think friends are part of the equation to a happy career. I, I love that analogy of the redwood tree. I never actually knew that, that they're, they're, yeah. Yeah, their roots are very shallow. And it's such a good metaphor for life. Of, yeah, these tall, strong trees need, need this community to, to thrive. And I absolutely think that's the case with dentistry. There's no secret that... I believe dentists, if I'm not wrong here, have some of the highest depression and suicide rates. Yeah, it's true. Um, and there's obviously a multitude of reasons for that. So having those that, those friendships, because you're so isolated, you're alone and you're in the operatory by yourself a lot of the times. Or yeah. yes, you have a hygienist, but they're not sort of doing the things that you're doing. So friendship is so important, obviously, from the mental health standpoint. But I like how you yes. talked about it as an industry because you guys all lift yes. each other up. Yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. And I guess... Another question I have on the similar topic of friendship is based on my experience with chatting with clients and, and the dentists that I know, they all sort of mention this point of going through dentistry school is a little bit not cutthroat, but you, you have this sense of competition. And even yeah. when you actually start practicing, there is this sense of competition. What would you say to, to new grads or, you know, young associates about competition and instead of looking at things from a collaboration and friendship standpoint. Yeah, you have to see other dentists as colleagues, not competitors, because each one of, there are enough patients to go around. So you don't have to compete for patients. What you have to compete for is to be your very best. And we can all, as friends, we can shine a mirror to each other to show each other our blind spots. We can all support each other and say things like, hey, if you want help in that, I can help you. And 
you're not going to, if you see each other as competitors, you're not going to win. Instead, you have to think about, we can all win. And the way we're all going to win is we're going to keep passing the ball because we're all on the same team. I love that. It, it, it is a team sport, whether regardless yes. of you individually working, the, the team you guys are on is dentistry and helping Canadians yes. improve their oral health. So it's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. It is tough. I'll be honest, even in my own industry, I, I viewed things like that when I was earlier in my career. And I still can fall into that line of thinking. And I, and I know everyone does. But it's important to remember that we, yeah, we are all on the same team. We're just trying to help Canadians. Yeah, that's true. Team Canada. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Team Canada is really what we are. <laughs> that's exactly. exactly. What I guess to, to go even deeper on this is I know you're involved, um, or at least you've spoken um, to the Organization of Women in Dentistry. Yeah. Um, and not to, to single out a specific gender, but do you think it's even more important for women to, to support one another and, and help one another in an industry that used to be, you know, male dominated and maybe it probably still is to an extent? Could you speak to that of the importance of not just being friends, but for women to support one another in this field? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I really struggled with being associated with women in dentistry because I just got associated with them in the last couple of years. Because at first I thought, you know, we're being very exclusive by just having a group for women. Like how do the men or other genders feel about that? And shouldn't we all be united? Shouldn't we just have these local dental study groups and talk about all of our issues this way? But it was actually a male friend who said, when I asked him, I said, should we be talking about women in dentistry? And he said, we definitely should. He's he said, if we all talk about our struggles, then we'll all be able to help each other. And women do have a unique situation and men have a unique situation. And there are strengths and weaknesses for being a woman. Like as a female, children tend to trust me better and their parents, my hands are smaller. It's easy for me to you know, get along well with the staff who are mostly females. So a lot of advantages that way, but the disadvantages, you know, trying to have a career and going through pregnancies and breastfeeding and, you know, being the main caretaker oftentimes at home and having mom guilt and, you know, missing out on, on kids activities. So, but then the men have weaknesses as well because they want to take time off, but it's not socially acceptable. They're, it's not acceptable for them to be emotional or for, uh, you know, they're expected to be the breadwinner. People are scared of male dentists more than females. So there are advantages and disadvantages of both. So should we be talking about women in dentistry? Yes, but we should also be talking about men in dentistry, other genders in dentistry, uh, internationally trained dentists, like anything that makes you unique where, you know, you might have some struggles that where we can all lift you up. And as when you mentioned um, women in dentistry, so now they're actually like 60 to 70% of students in dental school are female. Yeah, no. so the tides are turning. So, you know, we might get, you know, the next generation, there might be more females than males. And regardless of what that ratio is, we all have to be open about what our struggles are, whether it has to do with gender or other issues, because if we're not talking about it, we can't fix it. I'll say this as a man, I do, I would echo what your friend said about okay. there should be an actual, yes. you know, association or, or group um, dedicated to women. And I don't think having dedicated groups takes away from 
the unity of the entire group. It, it oh, is goodness. nice to have those subsets of, yeah, maybe there's a men in dentistry group or women. And yes. I don't think that those individual silos take away from the unity. of the Because at the oh, end of the day, you're good. all dentists. It just yes. helps solidify or it makes you feel like you're not alone within the substack. You do get to express your individuality or, or the struggles that you might deal with, with people who are in a similar boat. But then you guys could all go to a big conference for dentists only and still feel like you're all in the same. Yes, group. that's true. So I think it only amplifies it. It makes you feel less alone within the profession. Yeah, I like how you put that. I, I do think it's important because women do deal with a, a very unique set of problems and men deal with their own. And it's important to have those conversations about those. Because even with myself, I think like this funny, but I think most of my clients are female. Like, I think it's like a 60, 40 oh, split. Wow. Um, and I'm very aware of, of, yeah, the family planning, going to work or do I get mat leave? And there's all these things of planning that just us as men, we don't even consider. Like, I'm yeah. just going to go to school and finish. And then, you know, if, if I was a female, I'd be thinking, okay, well, I have to line this up with yeah. when I have children and when do I go to school? And, and there's exactly. so many more considerations. So. I think it's I think it is very important to have guys to, to to have those conversations amongst women and feel like there's a safe place to for us to all relate and talk about our struggles. It's great to hear your viewpoint. Yeah, Thank you, I, your touch. No, absolutely. Um, I guess the other thing I wanted to talk about was your presence on not just social media, but within your associations and then doing publications that are outside the realm of dentistry as a whole. Like yes. you're publishing Globe and Mail, which is mm -hmm. you know, a massive publication. How would you compare those three different avenues of, of getting your name out there and being influential um, amongst the community to create awareness, start conversations about dentistry and, and even change policy decisions like you've had a hand in? Yes. Um, how would you rank the, the difference between social media, being involved in the associations and then third party sort of avenues like the Globe and Mail or other publications? Yeah, that's a great question. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot. So one of my other values is making a difference. So I can make a difference through writing, through speaking, through organized dentistry, advocacy, social media, and you know, starting up clubs, things like that. And I was actually thinking, should I focus on one? Because then I can be a lot more influential if, if all of my time is spent on one thing because I have been struggling with how am I balancing it all? Because it can be too much at times. And then I thought, I love doing it all. So I'm going to keep doing it. Um, when it comes to writing, I would say that that is, you know, the, where I can reach the biggest audience. It's inclusive. You don't have to be sitting in a seminar in Vancouver to listen to me. You can just open up a journal or open up the newspaper. But the thing is not everyone likes to read. Some people like the visual, so that's why I like to speak. Some people like the auditory, so we're doing podcasts. Uh, some people like something that's short and like snippets of things, so social media. Some people like to connect, so then I do clubs and organizations. So if my goal is to make a difference and my other, so my three values are friendship, making a difference, and community service. So if I want to accomplish my values and, you know, feel like I have a fulfilled life, I need to do all of those. I just have to make sure I structure my time so that I can do all of those 
and serve the people involved with that the best that I can and also have time for myself and my family and friends. So I love it all. I can't rank. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think it's wise to, this is the financial planner in me talking, but to be diversified. Yes, exactly. You, you do cast a nice wide net because, you know, if social media, I'm not saying it's not going to be as popular in the future, but, yes. you know, if we all stop using Instagram and start using TikTok, yes. if we go back to Facebook or some new thing comes mm -hmm. along. You're not, you know, you're not all eggs in one basket in that avenue. Yes. You, you do multiple things. And I think it casts a wider net to bring more attention to the work that you're doing. So it is very valuable to do all three. And if you can physically and mentally sustain doing all three and it's not taking a burden on your life, then yeah, absolutely. Why not? Plus it changes things up. You don't get bored of just the one. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's, no. I kind of feel sometimes like I'm playing all the different positions on a field so I can get, I can get exhausted, but it's like, Hey, I just have to focus on one position at a time. So mm. that's how I'm getting it done. <laughs> no, I think it's great. Cause yeah, you do get such a broad audience of just in dentistry and then with the actual community through the associations and then yes. Canadians as a whole through, you know, these, these larger publications. And you mentioned clubs and being involved for anyone who isn't aware, you've started the new dentist study club in, in Toronto. Um, Tell me about the club, why it exists, what made you start yeah. it? I love how I love the origin of the new dentist study club. So I was connected with a newer dentist because he was struggling. I didn't want to basically face what I faced as a new dentist. You know, wasn't sure about whether he should stay in dentistry, wasn't happy as a dentist. So I met with him and he said, you know what, I think a lot of other people are feeling like I did do right now and how you did, but no one's talking about it. And I said, yeah, exactly. We should do something. And so I thought, I'll start the new dentist study club. And not only will we talk about clinical things, but we'll also talk about our feelings as well. So you know, we'll talk about, you know, boring stuff like teeth, but then we'll talk about perfectionism and burnout and self-doubt and just creating that connection amongst everyone. So we're going to improve ourselves with clinical management, practice management, but also emotional management. So I love the values of the club, which is friendship, mentorship, and support. And that's what we're doing. It's very successful. I love new dentist study clubs to have chapters all over Canada, or maybe we can do something virtually so that we can help more people. But, you know, it all ties into the friendship part, the connection, how we all have to support each other and how we're all going to be better dentists because of that, but also happier in our professions. Yeah, I I think it's great for, for a couple of reasons. Like we said about having, you know, those silos of, of groups. This is more of a broad group. Everyone can join because we're all new dentists. And it's so yeah. great because you have this a bit of a mentorship model of you're bringing in speakers who might not be new dentists anymore. Yeah. So all true. of a sudden, as let's say I'm a young associate, I have access to this person and to be able to ask them questions and build this yeah. relationship with them and really help me navigate what it's like being a new associate because dental school and actually practicing are, are completely different. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I think it's for fantastic. letting me talk about it. Yeah. And so you said there's a Toronto chapter. Will there, yes. are there any other chapters that you're involved in right now or no? no? So right now we're just in Toronto and we're keeping the group small, like under 40 so that it can be a study club where people feel comfortable talking. But if mm -hmm. anyone listening wants to start a club in their region, uh, 
I hope that they can reach out to me because I have this like new dentist study club in a box where you can easily start it in your own community. Yeah, I, I think it's great because I do know in BC, we have a BC dental study club, but I don't mm. think it's geared towards new dentists. No, uh, it's so not. This is really yeah. nice because it's new dentists who are, who are yes. coming in there. And obviously the knowledge levels will be different. If you've been yeah. practicing dentistry for 30 years, maybe you don't need to talk about some of the, these newer Yeah, concepts. it's so true. It's nice having that individual unit for those newer dentists who, who I would argue are the ones who need the most support and guidance. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm going to wrap this up with the big three questions that I ask oh. all of our guests. Yeah. Um, first one is who is or who are your biggest inspirations? Um, and like, like I say to all the guests, this could be someone, you know, more locally on a micro level, like your family, or it could be macro level or, you know, someone like Nelson Mandela or, or anyone in between. So who would you say that person is or people are for you? So currently I'd say it's Jay Shetty. So Jay Shetty wrote the book, Think Like a Monk, and he has a YouTube channel and a podcast. And so I read his books and he really talks about service. So I, about serving others. Now I already thought, okay, I'm doing that. I'm like organizing these free dental days and I'm in ch with charities. But then he like took it a step further where he really pushes you to serve every single day in every single way. So at the end of the day, you don't go to your spouse and say, how was your day? And so you say, well, how did you serve today? Mm, and that. yeah, and I'm even doing it more so where, you know, for an example, when I did a presentation in at the Ottawa Dental Society in February, there were some scouts there from the Ontario Dental Association. And instead of going up to them and saying, hey, I'm speaking today, can you scout me for your conference? Instead, I said, um, see that dentist over there? She's my classmate and she's like the leading laser dentist speaker in the world. You should scout her. And it's, and they're like, well, she's not really talking today and we can't go all the way to Russia to scout her. And then they're like, but wait a second, you're speaking. Let's scout you. And then, so I was like, you know, meanwhile, like my whole, I don't, I wasn't thinking about me at all. I was thinking about my classmate because she deserves it more because she's speaking internationally, but instead, like I got in the spotlight because of that. So when your intention is to help others, you might think, okay, you're giving and other people are receiving and you know, you're stuck with nothing, but actually you get, you're stuck with everything because you get the warmth in your heart, knowing that you're helping someone else, but in turn, someone's going to help you as well. I, I can fully resonate with that because I, I, I think the same way is the more you could serve the world, the better the world. It's just karma at the end of the day. The more you could serve the world, those blessings yes. will come back to you in some form. They might not come back to you in the form that you expect, but they will come back to you in other ways. And so yes. if the whole world just thought like that, and this kind of goes back to the whole competition thing that we talked about earlier. Yes. If you could you know, uplift everyone around you, those you, this is, shouldn't be the reason you do it, but those blessings will come back to you in some form or another. Yeah, it's true. You're only as strong as your weakest player. So instead of kicking out the weakest player, <laughs> help them be stronger and your team's going to win. Absolutely. Um, I guess what's next for you personally as, as Sanj and then professionally as Dr. Mahanta. So, Personally, it's my 50th birthday this year. So I have been celebrating all month. I'm going to celebrate all year. 
So I'm going to just spend a lot of time with my friends and family, having fun. I'm going to have to wait another 50 years till my 100th birthday to receive this much love. So that's what I'm doing personally. Uh, professionally, I'd love to spend more time writing because I haven't written in a couple of months because I've been speaking a lot. So I'd love to write more. So for listeners who, if there's something particular you want me to write about, I'd love to. And I'd also professionally, I'd also like to do advocacy with and promotion of the federal dental care program. I'd like it to be successful, not only for the patients, but also for the profession. I want my colleagues to be able to serve the public, but also sustain their practices as well and have enough human resources to do so. So I'm on the Human Resource Task Force with the Ontario Dental Association. So I'm really excited to see what we can do to support my colleagues. Yeah, and I guess to take a little bit of a detour, what are your thoughts on the new CDCP? Because my personal experience it. of looking through, yeah, I, I think it's <laughs> yeah. great. Um, I think you spoke about it on another podcast I was listening to. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was the Hi, I'm Doctor podcast. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. And like, I read through it. I'm also subscribed. Um, to Dr. Bruce Freeman's um, newsletter. And they talked about it a little bit there. Morning Floss, oh, yes. Yeah, Morning Floss. And it seems really great from the from the first look at it. We'll see how it actually plays out. But so yeah. far, it seems really good. It'll be access to a lot of Canadians who don't have access to dentistry and they'll all of a sudden be able to take care. And it it doesn't take away from the professional. Like, it doesn't take away it's from true. the dentist. They're still billing at a very high rate. It, the work is sort of not on their platter. They don't actually exactly. have any extra carding. But maybe other than my little spiel there, could you talk a little bit about it and what you think about the, the program and, and your thoughts on it and how it's actually going to get rolled out? I think it's fantastic because as a dentist, our goal is to improve the oral health of Canadians. And this program is going to do so because it's taking away one of the barriers to oral health care, which is finances. So... And I like the fact that the federal government is listening to our concerns with our current programs, that there's low reimbursement rate, the administrative burden is high. So they're trying to make it as easy for the dentist as possible to see, you know, the influx of patients that we're going to see once this federal dental care program rolls out to its full capacity in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So I love the fact that dentistry and the government's working together. I love the fact that the government's talking teeth and so is everyone else because a lot of people didn't even realize that people can't some people can't afford to go to the dentist so we're going to see a lot more um patients that are smiling with good oral health and that's going to make dentists smile as well yeah i i, I really am a big fan of, of the program that's being rolled out obviously we'll have Great. to see how it actually you know works logistically when people are yeah. using it but i'm a big fan and there was something i believe the one of the politicians who rolled it out said and, and um, she said something along the lines of you shouldn't be able to tell someone's income by their smile. And I love that. Yes, I think it's so it's important because so much confidence is carried right here. Um, exactly. and if you're able to solve that problem for people, it's, it's amazing on top of obviously being able to screen for some serious oral, oral issues, um, yeah. just taking care of people's oral health as a whole. I'm excited about it. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. And I guess to sort of speak further to money, this is the dollars and doctor show. Yes. Um, so I'm asking all the guests, what's the best financial decision that you think you've ever made in your in your life so far? Actually, I would say my best financial decision is to live small, like not to spend a lot of money. 
So, you know, I have a really cheap car. I have mm-hmm. a tiny house. Uh, I'm not a big spender. Like I, d- I don't have a fancy purse. I shop at discount, like those like Valley Village type stores and the dollar store. So, and if you're not spending a lot, you don't need a lot and yeah. you're going to be financially secure. I'm trying to control my smile right now. I'm so happy <laughs> that you said that. <clears throat> I'll, I'll say this. I tell clients that if you, for example, let's say I'm really into cars and I know all the specs about everything about the yeah. new you know, Mercedes Benz, by all means, we'll, we'll run a quick analysis and see if you can afford it and then go ahead and spend that money. But on things that you truly value yeah. very often, and I'm not going to paint a broad brush here, but with most of the doctors I work with, you fresh out of school, you go from making $0 a month to, to 20 grand a month or more. And all of a sudden you're like, well, I want the new car. I want this and I want that. Yeah. Then when you really think about it, it's like, do I really want this? Um, yes. Or am I buying it because it looks cool on social media and I can finally show the world that I'm a success. But what they forget is that level of comfort that you have by keeping your expenses low, you're able to achieve financial freedom much sooner and you're yeah. able to actually enjoy life. Like period, yeah. you're not working to pay the mortgage and the car loan and the this, and then wonder why I don't have any money left over. Um, so I'm so happy you said that because living frugally is, it is one of the best things you could do financially. Yeah, and in dental school, I didn't win any academic awards, but I got this joke award from my classmates, most likely to reuse scrap amalgam. <laughs> like amalgam is one of the filling materials. And I, I'm so proud of that because <laughs> it means that you know, I don't value wealth and spending a lot of money. Like I just value quality time with my friends and yeah. I don't need a lot of money for that. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's how it should be unless, mm-hmm. and I will say this, I don't also want to send the message that spending money on material things is bad. I'm all for it. If you, if you really love watches and you want a Rolex, absolutely spend the money on it. I yeah. usually ask clients that if no one else knew you had this, would you still buy it? Like, for example, if you drove a Mercedes-Benz and you couldn't tell anyone else you have it, would you still buy it? And if the answer is yes to that, then go buy it. Because I think that usually solves that question of, okay, do I just want this because people, it's a status symbol or do I want it because I really like it? And that usually curves a lot of the unnecessary spending and makes you spend things that you value. And your values seem to be not to do with sort of anything material. It's really about giving back. And I did want to ask this question. We can cut it out later. Um, and I think it's important for people to know if they're if they're thinking of going into you know public practice the way you yes. are instead of a private clinic, is there a big disparity of the incomes um, or is it yeah. relatively the same? Yeah. So as a associate, I made twice as much money as I did working in public health. So my my salary is because I make over one hundred thousand dollars. I'm on the sunshine list. So if you Google me, my salary comes up. So it's 115,000 a year. I also get pension, benefits, sick days, vacation days, but that's enough. That's more than enough. Like I'm, I would do my job for free. That's how much I love it. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I could cut this out if you'd like me to, but no, I you think, can keep uh, it in. Okay. Because, okay. Yeah, it's on. It's on the it's on the second page of if you scroll okay. my name, it's there. <laughs> no, I, I think it's amazing to talk about that because, yeah, the, people should know that there, yes, there's a trade off maybe because, yes, obviously you can earn enough <clears throat> private practice and, and owning your own clinic or being an associate at a clinic. Um, but there is a trade off. There, there's no sick days, there's no benefits. And yes, yes. you can buy those. Um, but there is a trade off. Um, and maybe even the trade off is more to do with, with giving back 
because you don't get to see yeah. the patients that you get to see every single day. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's fantastic. Um, I guess to wrap it up, um, do you have any advice to, you know, your fellow dentists or doctors out there? Any advice to new students? Any advice to, you know, new associates? The floor is is absolutely yours. Oh, great. So my first advice is to connect with your local dental society, to stay connected with your classmates, mm -hmm. to not only get educated with clinical dentistry, but also, you know, become educated about the other aspects of dentistry, like the federal dental care program, about the issues that are facing dentistry, like regulatory issues. Like I love taking a deep dive into seeing what's going behind the scenes with our profession, because the more you understand how our profession works and the more you understand the struggles of our patients, the more we can all work together to solve those problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The more you understand about the profession, the better you can advocate for it. Yeah, that's right. And this kind of goes back to universalizing your actions. If, if you don't do it, who else is going to? It's very easy to say, Dr. Sanchez got it. She'll cover it. But I think everyone else should should sort of try their best to give back in any way they can. Because if the whole world, you know, acted that way, then no one would get this stuff. Good. And give back every single day. So it doesn't mean you have to go on a mission trip or, you know, start a charity. Giving back every day could mean accepting a patient who's on a public dental program, giving a discount to a patient doing some free dental work, but it's also can be as something as, you know, having good intentions when you walk into the operatory and thinking I'm going to provide the best oral health and improve my patient's oral health. If your goal is to improve the patient's oral health, the money will come. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would fully attest to that. The, <laughs> the clients that I have are the most successful are yes, social media and all that stuff. SEO is important for your practice but the ones who have the most consistent sort of patient stream and they're, they're billing the most are the ones with that word of mouth referral. And that only wow. comes from providing a fantastic experience. And that doesn't matter if you're just a clinic owner, even the yes. associates who take the time, they're the ones who build that referral base the best. Um, and it yeah. really is just having the right intentions, doing right by the patient, um, complying to your fiduciary duty with them, yeah. um, and, and really just caring as a human. Um, that's It's the best business plan you could ever have. All the other numbers and everything, they don't really matter. Caring is literally the best business plan. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, so thank you so much for allowing me to share my story. No, and the, the pleasure is is honestly all mine. Thank you for taking the time and doing this. I know you've done lots of podcasts before, and I really didn't want you to feel like this was repetitive, um, but no, I'm wasn't. so glad you shared your story. I'm so glad we had you on, and I really do appreciate your time. You. Oh, you're welcome. I thought you were going to ask me what my worst financial decision was going to be. So, you know, what's funny <laughs> is I, I used to, I asked that on the first like two or three podcast episodes and I stopped asking it because a couple of my guests said they didn't have any mistakes. So I was like, okay, that's great. Um, and then a few others were like, oh, I don't, I'm kind of embarrassed about it. I don't want to talk about it, but you're more than happy to share if you have one. Oh, sure. Yeah. So my worst financial mistake was having children, especially, <laughs> especially letting my daughter drive our cars, which she totaled, and then we had to buy a new car. So it's, you know, children will fill your hearts and empty your pockets. So that's my worst financial decision. Thank you for saying that because I, um, I don't think enough people realize how expensive children are. Not just like financially, like the, the raw expenses, like raising them and whatnot, but there's yes. an opportunity cost to having children. There's 
There's less work yeah. to take on. There's yes. less um, opportunities you could say yes to. There's less risk mm-hmm. you could take in your in your investments and, and potentially lose out on on more money in the future. But it's not a financial decision. It is a hundred percent an emotional decision. Correct? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, I'm a I'm a few years away from having kids, but that is my biggest uh, fear is the. <laughs> The finance of it, not the raw <laughs> cost. It's the opportunity cost on most of it. Yeah, them. it's true. Yeah, it's true. Like we, we just be got making a... better decisions. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe that's true. Yeah, because like we just <laughs> got a dog, and me and my wife are planning a vacation, and, and I was like, oh yeah, we were supposed to go for a week, and where are we gonna put the dog? At? And we're like, it's oh, we pigeonholed ourselves into this. I know. Now we can't take long vacations anymore. Like we'll go yeah. for like four days and make sure one of the kids is at home to look after the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so you're ready to have kids you already know like what an impact it's going to make on your life i don't know about that yeah well ask your wife about that i'm very <laughs> yeah, afraid you can, of it at least you can put the dogs in a cage like yeah FYI, exactly. you can't do that with kids <laughs> exactly I, I have had the thought of yeah i could just put them in a cage but i can't do this with <laughs> yeah maybe i'm not quite ready yet but yeah i think that i think that's a great place to end it Thank you again okay. so much oh you're welcome good, Ted. So good luck with the podcast thank you so much i was honored that you asked And that concludes our ninth episode of the Dollars and Doctor Show. I want to thank Dr. Mohanta again for being a guest on this podcast and taking time out of her extremely busy schedule to record this episode. If you'd like to reach out to Dr. Sanj Mohanta, I will include her contact information in the show notes, as well as links to the new Dentist Study Club in Toronto. This episode was brought to you by White Coat Financial. Our goal at White Coat Financial is to change the financial planning industry by combining a fiduciary duty with a one-stop shop experience for our clients. If you're a Canadian doctor and you're looking for financial advice on mortgages, investing, insurance, taxes, or any other financial matters, visit our website, www.whitecoatfinancial.ca. On our website, you'll be able to schedule a free initial consultation to learn about how White Coat Financial can help you protect your income, grow your money, and live better. If you have any questions or feedback for us, you can email me directly at gurthage at whitecoatfinancial.ca. Thank you for your attention, thank you for your time, and thank you for your ongoing support. I look forward to speaking with you soon. The information contained in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and it is not to be taken as financial advice. While the host of this podcast is a registered financial planner, nothing contained in this podcast should be construed as financial advice. Before making any financial decisions, you should always consult with a financial professional about your unique circumstances and personal situation. The hosts and guests of this podcast are not responsible for any errors or omissions or for any actions taken based on the information provided in this podcast. It is the responsibility of the listener to do their own due diligence and make informed financial decisions.